Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Cersei Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Uh, today should be a fun conversation because I know next to nothing about what we're talking about, but I'm joined by two people who will be able to help me out a little bit. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, language acquisition, uh, in particular the, the direct method uh, that we use here with, at Cersei. And I am joined by Buck Holler, who is our uh, the head of our Latin apprenticeship. Hi, Buck. Hello. And by Monique Neal, who uh, is the head of our soon-to-be-launched Greek apprenticeship. So, Monique, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, the two of you have been have been trained and working with the direct method um, for a while. Uh, I struggled through three years of high school Spanish and 16 hours of college Spanish, and I can order at a Mexican restaurant. So, um, I'm here to learn <laughs> how to how to better. Uh, how to better acquire uh, language, since it's something I'd like to do, even in my rapidly aging uh, life, um, but also help my children and, and someday my grandchildren. So, uh, Buck, if you could just give us a, a, a brief overview of kind of the the methods, the philosophies that are out there uh, in the world going right now, uh, that might be a helpful place to start. Sure. Well, um, you could probably boil it down to maybe three or possibly four. I think what most people are probably most familiar with in terms of the classical world in studying, if they've gone off to seminary or or have gone into the university to study classics, would be the the approach that's usually termed a grammar translation approach, which is how that's how I learned when I was you know I went to school and I was taught uh, my undergrad and was I minored in languages, so that's the way we that's the way I learned Greek or Koine Greek, you know, in school and in Hebrew, although. Hebrew was a little different, um, but we could, that's not important at this point. But so the the grammar translation approach, where approaching a language, usually a dead language, and the idea was to approach it by means of the grammar and to use that grammar in order to translate text. So there's that's kind of one of the main approaches, but then you have a lot of modern languages. And so those are usually taught by a, what might some people might call an immersion or could be called a natural approach. So the idea of the natural approach or an immersion approach is to imitate the way that children learn uh, their first language and to to just be immersed in the language or in the culture and in time to acquire and develop a, a, an understanding of the language. The the other approach though that that what you mentioned earlier, direct method approach, is is a is slightly different. There is a bit of a distinction between sometimes people call the direct method the natural approach, or even call it immersion, but it's not quite because the direct method is not the learning of a first language. The main idea simply is just in the term direct method. It's an it's a direct encounter with the language, rather than encountering the language through translation. Um, but how is it different from the natural method? And I would say that the, the direct method is different than, say, the natural or an immersion approach is because it's it's not you're not just immersing the student or the learner with any language or with any words within the language. It's very contextual, right? And it's purpose. So in terms of the learning, we're dealing with a couple of uh, things like be, making sure that the language is understandable. It's the, the the words and the sentences and the context that we're providing and using to build the learning is designed. It's not just circumstantial or happen happenstance in terms of what we might encounter 
in the market or in town or at a friend's house or something like that. And so it's it's slightly different. The only other one I could think of is is uh, the, the University of Lexington and Terrence Tunberg and Melina Mikova. They came out with the uh, I forget what it's called now, but the Latin for the New Millennium. And and they, in their introduction to that series, they talk about it as sort of a fusion approach, that it's what they were trying to do was sort of bridge a, uh, between a sort of direct method approach and then a grammar translation approach. And they're, they're kind of trying to, to walk a, a line between those two. And so it's it, you're getting a little bit of both in that. So it's kind of a hybrid, maybe. But that's how I I, guess I simplify it in those three main ones: grammar translation, a direct method, and then maybe a natural approach. Monique, I know you grew up uh, speaking Greek. Um, you're you're from uh, your family's from Cyprus, um, uh, but your children are Americans, and you you know wanting them to learn the language. What? Where what was your uh, what's kind of what's your history with the encountering the direct method approach? Uh, were you doing something else before that, or is that kind of with your kids? I think the direct method. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of pieces to the direct method, and there's a lot of tools that are part of the direct method. I think that um, I, I agree with what Buck said with the distinction between the immersion, the natural method, and the direct method. But I think at the at the heart of the direct method is um, is observing how people do naturally learn language and then sort of taking that. The work of the teacher now is to take that and to create an environment that might not be it's a little bit of a it's a created environment. It's not necessarily a natural environment. So the, the teacher is trying to create this environment where the students are able to learn these words. So what I was doing um so my, my, my children are learning both modern Greek and they're learning ancient Greek. Um, but when I started learning ancient Greek, according to the direct method, um, I think that I became a lot more purposeful in creating those environments, right? Um, and... Um, um, as, as opposed to just, as opposed to just, we're going to learn the words that just naturally come up. Um, the work of the teacher in the direct method is I, a lot greater than the work of the teacher, I think, in the natural method. Hmm. Okay. And Buck, what was your introduction? You said you, you learned, you learned the translation stuff coming through school. Um, what was your yeah. introduction into transitioning to the direct method? Well, it's kind of funny because the, that's how I learned Greek and, but I, I tended to spend most of my time in Hebrew. And so what's interesting now, at the time, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> you know, I was just doing what I had to do as a student to survive. But um, now coming in several years later, I realized, oh, that's what we were doing. So we had um, my my Hebrew professor was is friends with a gentleman by the name of Randall Booth. And Randall Booth runs has ran for several years, a decade or more, uh, an institute in uh in Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, but in Israel, I believe it's in Tel Aviv, and it's Living Biblical Languages, I think is what it was called. And this is way back in 2000, 2000 1999, in, in 2000, 2001, somewhere around there, he had a beta version of his Hebrew program. And so my professor and I, uh, because they were friends, he was he was working it out on me, the, this beta 
uh, version of the uh, Hebrew program that he had. I remember it was, and it was comprehensive. It was, it, they had little CD disc and it was images of, you know, somebody with a horse and it was, you know, and it would be words in context, which I think is, is critical to, to what this is in terms of language learning. And that was, it was more of a, it was very much of a comprehensible approach, like comprehensible, meaning that the, the language was understandable because one, maybe you were getting small portions of it, but it was associated with images in particular and with audio. So we would hear the words, we would see the words, and then we would see an image that all that put all of that together. And so if we saw a horse, for instance, and it said sus, you know, in the Hebrew, then we would, you know, you would know that that's a horse. The, the word sus means horse. Um, and so that's how that, that was kind of my early introduction. And I remember, I remember one time um, my, I went to a conference and um, Dr. Brown, my professor was there and we, he introduced me to Randall Booth and it was in the uh, book session where all the book vendors were. And I remember standing there and he introduced me to him and he started talking to me in Hebrew. I had no idea what he was saying. And, and so he stops and he says, so what are you studying? At this time I was in seminary and I said, and we were standing by a particular vendor and I could see the grammar book there, the Hebrew grammar book for the professor that I had. And I said, well, that's my professor right there. And you know, I was pointing to the book. And then he looked at me and he said, basically, he said this in, in paraphrase. He says, well, if you want to always, if you want to stand on the outside looking into the language, keep doing that. But if you want to get into the language, then you have to begin praying the Psalms. Like he would, that was his, huh. you got to get into speaking it, praying it, right? The, and um, and that kind of little inner exchange that we had started, I think, leading me into more of this approach that was, because I, I was hungry. I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be fluent in a language. And I just didn't think I was getting there. Um, well, it was a, it was a different goal, right? I had a goal to be fluent, and if you if rather than a goal to be maybe a scholar or something mm -hmm. like that. Okay. Um, well, I think probably for a lot of our audience, if they're like me and they've tried to do this language learning post post school, <laughs> um, it's been through probably what are what would be natural method type type deals. Uh, Rosetta Stone, something along those lines, um, Pimsler. And are we talking about this, the distinction here is really that those, the words you're learning are really more contextualized um, it, with the direct method. Could you give me an example of what the, what you mean by contextualized? Either one of you. Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, so in the way I think of the natural method and immersion is you're, you're literally exposed to people speaking this language. And, um, you you may not understand any of it, right? Um, and you somehow are expected to kind of absorb it and pick it up. Whereas the direct method is you are only hearing this language, but there is so much scaffolding around you that gives you clues as to what the person is talking about, right? So if I, if I want to teach the word for... Um, uh, a ball in Greek, right? So I can have a ball right there and I can point to it and I can say what it is. And then I can start, you know, speaking and I can, um, I can demonstrate, I can say, um, they knew me and I can actually point to it. So it's clear. I'm saying, I'm showing you, they knew me then Sidon. 
and I'm doing that. And then I can command somebody else to do that. And then somebody does that. And then the, a third person realizes, okay, this person is being commanded to show the ball. And then I can command, pick up the ball, give me the ball, throw the ball. And mm-hmm. what's going on there is you're hearing, there's so many, there's so much clues as to what is the meaning of all these words. What's the meaning of the nouns? What's the meaning of the verbs and the commands? But then there's this other element, which our, our bodies are involved. There is this, um, there was this book that was written in, I can't remember, it's the 60s or 70s by um, this man, um, Asher, uh, called Total Physical Response. And talks about this connection between language and body um, and what that does for our learning. So if I'm um, catching a ball and I say, my then spider. I'm going to I'm going to remember that. And it's more than just the repetition of playing this game with the ball. It's also that my body is involved. Right. So it's different. It's different than it's different than immersion in that so much is provided. So there's only really a small amount, one word, two words, one command. And then we build from there that is unknown. Everything is known from the environment. That's interesting because I think I think that natural method often gets billed as Buck was talking earlier about how you learn your first language, right? Um, but in reality, when I when I what I do is I give my toddler their cup and say, "Here's your cup. Here's your cup. Do you want your cup?" You know, and so it's what you're talking about. I'm, I'm giving. I'm not just saying cup, cup, cup over and over. I'm using that full sentence to communicate more than what the thing is. I'm asking them and inter- in, uh, engaging them in that decision. Um, so that's interesting. That So it really seems more like what we often do with small children uh, when teaching them. Language. It is. And I think it's about observing very carefully what we do. Like it, it, you, you realize, if you really think about what you do with your children, you don't expect your children to speak. You only expect them to listen and to understand. Mm. And to respond to commands, right? Go to sleep, come here, right? Come here and they come and start walking. Um, You know, things like, you know, we don't ask them to decline nouns and conjugate verbs, right? And even things like, you know, so speaking comes later, writing and reading come later too. Composing comes very late, right? Mm -hmm. Really are, even in the direct method, observing how children do learn naturally and following and following that part, that path. So my only knowledge or my limited knowledge of of resources um, start at a much older age. And there's uh, for those of you who are listening who maybe are a little bit on more on track than I am, uh, you know, typically what people talk about with Latin, at least is the lingua Latina um, coursework. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I think that's that's geared toward an older audience. Um, when when you're let's talk about maybe a, ways to start this at different ages um, with with the younger kids, where where are you starting this if you're or if you're really ahead of the game and just doing it with your toddlers, making them learn multiple languages at the same time. But but where where would you start with with maybe the younger students, even grade school, let's say early, early, early elementary? Well, I think that um, starting with with younger children, you can really start start the way that children naturally learn, right? With adults, not every adult wants to learn like a child. We don't want to be treated like a child. We might not want to be commanded, right? Adults might not appreciate these games as much, but um, with children, this is really easy um, to create these environments and to play games. And so to start with uh, very simple simple commands and then to to build on those commands. So um, 
it makes the job of the teacher very easy as well, because it's very easy to assess if the student understands what is being said to them, like how they physically respond with their body. And then first we're only uh, first we're only commanding and expecting them to respond and then they can repeat those uh, commands to other people and then you can start adding and layering on things so um early on with my children we would play a game where I would say dos muy give me whatever it is you know give me mm-hmm. and then they would start and then I would ask them what are you doing well I'm giving I'm giving the uh, I'm giving the cup. And then um, I would ask another person, well, what is this person doing? Tell me. And then there's the third person coming in there. He's giving the cup. And then I would say, well, tell him what he just did. Well, you gave the cup. So all of a sudden mm-hmm. we working with all of this form of the verb without ever conjugating it. And we're just talking and using it. And uh, then you can say, why, why, why are you, um, why are you giving the cup? Well, because I want to. So all of a sudden you're using the infinitive there. Um, and and the, the, the really great thing, it, it works out so well. So the, the, I think this is a principle in linguistics, uh, but the words that we use most often are also the ones that are usually the most irregular. Right? Because they're the ones that through time undergo the most changes and just uh, lose, lose the form. Right. So um, we have this in English, too. I, I go, I went like these these words don't really look like each other different than um, I jump or I jumped where you just add ed. Right. So um, in Greek, as I think in other languages as well, a lot of the the, the frequent verbs are irregular and they're difficult. Uh, the command forms are very complicated. In other words, if you're learning them with a grammatical approach, you won't learn them until later. And they will be difficult to learn. But if you learn them in this almost um, uh, in this almost poetic approach where you just naturally encounter them and use them, you develop this intuitive understanding of them. Um, and 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 it's it's a much easier path. Um, but going back to I think the question was. How do we do this with younger children? Sorry, I kind of. How do we do this with younger children? Well, we start with commands and then we start expecting them to speak. Um, And we can play all sorts of games with that too, right? Um, Games where they're interacting with each other, games where you start telling stories and and building on those stories. Um, I like to play this game. It's like the bad memory game where I start saying something and then forget the word I'm going to say next. And so all they're doing is filling in words, but they're filling in these words in context, right? When you say start with command, so you're not having them respond verbally at first. It's just the command. Do the thing that you're being told to do, right? That's the picking up the cup, the bringing you the cup, that kind of thing. Just the command. That's right. Okay. Yep. Put it down. Come here. Um, anastasi, right? Stand up, which is um, kind of a loaded word. And it's in scripture and it's beautiful. And it's um, it's one of those difficult words. Um, and you learn it really easy. So when you see... You know, when you see it in the New Testament and in the gospel, you're like, okay, I've, I've been doing that. I, I learned it in October. <laughs> <Nothing>. <laughs> uh, from day one, right? I learned that when I, you were in your 45-minute session in, in October at the Reader So I knew <laughs> I was about to stand up in my chair just now. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I would I would add um questions too, because when I made the transition in my own classroom, one of the ways I did that was by asking questions like, 
UBS, uh, well, and like, like, where is something? Who is this? What is that? Like, you know, you, you could, you, you could, you know, you'd hold up a book and quit as hoc, right? Hoc es liber. UBS magister, out. Like, where is the teacher? Magister in cubiculo is in the room, right? There's like asking simple questions, or even with kids, though, too, you could use the same thing. UBS mater, like, where's mom? <laughs> right? Esne mater in culina, out in cubiculo. Like, is she in the kitchen or is she in the bedroom? Right. So you can, you know, simple questions like that. But one of the things, too, the other, uh, a couple of the, the gentlemen who uh, brought the direct method into classical Latin and Greek, um, W. Um, H. D. Rouse being one of them, he, he wrote a book called Chanties. And, or he put together, he composed a book of Chanties, which were a number of Greek and Latin songs. You know, chanty songs to be sung in the classroom. And so singing songs too, I think, like so that's poetry, right? So learning to sing certain, you know, simple songs is also another fun way, I think, with children. Um, kids always love it. We would, you know, in school, I every Friday was song day. And so I all the all the kids love to to sing all the songs and they would learn the songs, but part of they may not know all the words, but they're getting familiar with the sounds, mm-hmm. right? They're becoming more and more known to them um, rather than something that's totally foreign yeah i mean that's that's nursery rhymes for us right like i didn't i didn't know what curd curds and way were till i was like in 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 college i never bothered to find out what curds were um but i knew the nursery rhyme that had those words in it so which is context right so it puts a con again learning words in context and it, it puts those words in a context and so it's, you know, you think of curds and whey and your mind goes back to nursery rhymes, <laughs> or you might be thinking of a nursery rhyme and all of a sudden your vocabulary has been expanded because you know a particular cur- nursery rhyme that has these, you know, curds and whey, which is not something that you would typically use, right? So, so your vocabulary has been expanded, but it's been expanded contextually, right? Based on a partic- very particular context. Okay. Uh, with, as we get into a little bit older students, I know that we, we, um, move toward using a uh, narrative to some, some extent. Um, but, you know, we talked about lingua Latina for a moment. We and others are developing, you know, more uh, on that narrative side to help students at, at a younger age. Can you talk a little bit about how that starts to come into play using simple and then narrative and then expanding on that? How, like using something like lingua latina or yeah are there other resources that are being developed maybe for even middle grade students um the the use of that narrative and how it's structured uh yeah like like we're not just throwing the aeneid and and homer at some kid and and saying go for it right Right, yeah so the (laughs) so something like lingua latina is um i mean as far as that goes i mean there's an People might have different choices about different programs. I mean, there are other programs like Oxford or Cambridge um, programs. The, the Eke, Eke Romani, I think, is the the Oxford version and the Cambridge Latin series. But they're, you know, so there are different programs out there, and they're all slightly different. the The thing about Orberg's program is that it's it's all Latin from page one. I mean, the very, I mean, the title of the book is Per Se Elisrata, right? By it. it taught by means of its own self, right? It's, it's, and, and the opening chapter begins with a map and, and the first sentence is Roma in Italia es. So, 
even if you don't know any Latin, you could probably figure out that Roma is Rome. <laughs> and in Italia is probably in Italy. And you have no idea what est is, but you need a verb in there somewhere. So Rome is in Italy, right? So it begins with that sentence. And by the end of that particular book, so Ordberg's is two books, uh, Familia Romana, and uh, the second book is Roma Eterna. And the Roman family is 30, 35 chapters, 34 chapters, essentially. And by the time you get to chapter 34, he's gone through all of the grammatical concepts within Latin. Now, not the syntactical concepts, but the grammatical concepts. So you've you've covered all of the grammar that that there is to learn in those chapters. And then when you go on to the next book, the next book begins the first chapter with a history, a, a, just an overall a survey of Roman history very quickly tied to the city of Rome. And then the next four chapters, 37, 38, 39, 40, is, is, the, is our prose versions of the Aeneid. So he's, he's taking the, the first uh, four books of the Aeneid and putting them in in, in a, adapting them slightly, but each each chapter, it's getting closer and closer to the original. And then the next several chapters, I think it's uh, five or so chapters, it's the, the history of the kings of Rome, according to Livy. And by the time you get to Tarquinius Superbus, which is in chapter 45 of Roma Eterna, there's a, there's a particular line where after that point through the rest of Roma Eterna, it's not adapted. It's, it's straight straight uh, Latin from the authors, right? And so it's a very gradual, it's very, it's very designed, it's very carefully designed and, and um, purposeful to get you from the point of uh, Roma in Italia S to reading the Roman authors, right? That is the goal. I mean, Ordberg comes out and says in his, some of his stuff that the fluent reading of the classics is the goal that he has for the program and and um and he's done it well so that even in early chapters so when you're reading something like chapter i think it's chapter 12 miles romanus the 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 roman soldier you know there are things that happen in that chapter and even structures that he's giving and words that when you get to caesar you go oh (laughs) like he had prepped you for reading caesar way back in chapter 12 you know, with some just basic structure, you know, some basic huh. things. And it's, and you realize the genius behind it. And so, um, so that's, so it, I don't know, there, it's a big question because there's a lot there in terms of just the design of the program itself. And there's, and the auxiliary books that they have that, that are additional um, and how he does it. But, um, but are there need for resources? There, there's tremendous needs for resources. I mean, most of the questions or many questions that I tend to get are, well, what do you do about before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chapter one of Familia Romana? And you mentioned that maybe for an older group. And yeah, I know of schools that start it in high school, some of them maybe even in middle school. But, you know, uh, it's it begins to... The further you get into the book, the 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 denser it gets, and it is so for younger students, it gets really hard to get those later chapters. and And there's lots of need for stuff out there, and and I mean, we know of some that are out there, and of course, um, like Timothy Griffith and what they're doing 
out there um, with, uh, what is it, Picta Dicta? Picta Dicta, yeah. Yeah, per, um, putting together materials that are keyed or, or at least um, directed towards preparing students for getting into something like Roma Eterna, or, or sorry, uh, Familiar Romana, Orberg's, Orberg's works. Monique, I'm, I'm even less familiar with Greek resources than I am Latin resources. So uh, do you have, when it comes to time for the students to start reading or something narrative, do you have some things to point us toward with the Greek? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, with the, um, with older students, certainly with intermediate and advanced students of any age, um, the, the bulk of the work at that point becomes reading, um, reading, um, uh, for, I mean, ultimately, as Buck said, that that is the goal. We want to be able to pick up original text and read it, um, but also reading for the purpose of vocabulary acquisition. There's no better way to learn the language, um, to acquire the language further than to just to, to read it widely. Um, and so um, the bulk of the work of the intermediate and more advanced student is going to be reading and discussing. So reading aloud discussing, paraphrasing. Um, uh, so we're speaking and we're, and we're reading. Um, now there's, um, there's a lot of original material, but that is of course not immediately accessible. So the, the question is, what can we, what can we read so that we can come up the curve, but we can still be doing the same work, which is reading in the original language and discussing it. Um, and so Athenazim, is I would say comparable to lingua latina. Um, it is uh, it is it is such a great book. Um, Athenaza exists in an English edition and in an Italian edition. The Italian edition is longer, um, but it is uh, it is it is graded. So the beginning chapters are you know easier, and then it just kind of bootstraps you and pulls you up with the vocabulary that you need. <laughs> Uh, the next chapters. Um, Athenasa is, it, it starts at, um, it's not as graded as lingua latina. It starts at a place that is a little bit more advanced than where lingua latina starts. Um, and um, there, there are other resources. Um, there's a, uh, there's a curriculum called Alexandros, which I, which I understand is a little bit simpler, um, but I'm not very familiar with it myself. Um, so there, there are resources out there. Um, I think that the best prep uh, would be this kind of um, uh, this sort of teacher led physical games um, to learn enough vocabulary to just go directly into something like Athenazem. Okay. And um, then of course, uh, once you begin, once you begin these, uh, once you begin Athenazem, um, it's very possible to start weaving in original text. So um, I think as soon as possible, we should be reading, you know, the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we should be reading Aesop's fables in the original. Um, and so we can start to weave in original text from the very beginning, uh, because even with the simpler text, there is a gap. There's a big gap between the curriculum and the original, and we want to start becoming familiar with that gap and comfortable with it so that we're not studying a language for many years and then, you know, feeling discouraged when we, when we go to the original and feel like, oh, even, even still there's a gap here. Okay. Go, go ahead, Buck. 
So the, yeah, th- that points out something I think really important because you're you're starting to touch into it. But this idea of well, two things: one, extensive reading versus intensive reading, and and being able to find texts where you, where you can extensive do where you can read text rather quickly and and are getting seventy to eighty percent of the content versus intensive reading, which is much slower. And and here's the key though too is the difference between familiar and unfamiliar text. And so when you mention something like the Gospels or the the New Testament in uh, reading in Greek, so there's a difference when when a student comes to a familiar text and they recognize the stories. And this is why when I went back when I was talking about Hebrew earlier, Randall Boost materials was learning the story of Jonah. That was the first story that you learned. That's the, that's how he taught. You're, you're learning it by learning the story of Jonah. And so everybody knows the story of Jonah. And so when you read the text, the story is a familiar story. And so the language isn't as difficult as you think it is because you know the story, right? You could piece so much of it together as opposed to an unfamiliar text. Like if you jump into a story that you don't know that well, and then you try reading it in the language, it's it's a whole different experience. So the, the, the bonus of that too, though, is the effect that it has on the student. So you as the student, if you're you know, as you're learning and you and you get a familiar, you know, the Gospel of John or something like that, and you're reading it in the Greek or Latin or whatever, and you're getting it, that does more to encourage the learner than it does to discourage them when they're coming to a very difficult text and doing intensive reading, where they're reading, trying to read a paragraph, and it takes them two hours to get through it. <laughs> you know, so. That was going to be my next question. How 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 helpful is it to go to those uh, familiar texts? Yeah. So the the um, I mean, even my kids learning the sing song version of First John in in Latin years ago, uh, or, or sorry, uh, not First John of John one in Percipio, right? You just learn great. Okay, in the beginning, that's pretty easy to pick up on, and even I got it. <laughs> listening to it in the background so <laughs> in principio yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so i guess my follow up to that would be what uh within direct method and uh, where's the place for something like an, an interlinear text where they have either line by line or side by side uh versions of some of these things that people might be more familiar with yeah well quickly on that this there there are kind of different viewpoints on that and even when the direct method in particular during the 19th century, 1800s, right, is where it gets pretty popular near the end of it. And um, there were different, there were sort of different camps on that. Some were very strict in terms of no, uh, uh, no recourse to the, what might be called the, the, the nat- your first language, right? Uh, language one versus language two, um, target language. So everything has to be in the target language. Everything is in the foreign language. But some said, and, and I think this is an, an interesting point, This and this makes a difference between the natural method in particular. So in a, a natural method, we're talking about something with like children, but they're learning a first language. But we're second language learners. We've already learned one language. So we we can't learn it the same way we did when we learned our first language. It's... Right, because you're not. You already have a language, and so, and so, some would argue that there, there's, there is, uh, it's okay to to jump back and forth, um, the, and so I, and so I don't know. You know, it's kind of where you where you fall on that. Um, the value of an interlinear. I, 
my own opinion, I think is that, and it's just an opinion, so it's not worth much. But anyways, <laughs> that as long as you can have an interlinear and it might, it might assist in the reading and, and the speed of which you read. And you might be able to be able to go across and see, you know, okay, I don't know what that word is. I don't have time to go through and look at a Latin dictionary that's written, like Forcellini, which is written in Latin. And it's going to take me five to 10 minutes to figure out what this word is by sticking in the language or uh, or some other way. I could just look over and go, oh, okay, it's that word and then move on. Okay, fine. Um, and that's that's possible. The temptation, though, and particularly with students, maybe, I don't know. The temptation is, is to constantly rely on that. And, and my goal as a teacher and also as a, as a student learner, language learner as well, is to begin thinking in the language. And every time that I get pulled out of the language, it's, it's slowing down or retarding the process of, of staying in the language, right? Of, of, of learning to think in it. So every time I have to break out, now I have to reform. And it's, and so, so to me, it kind of slows, it, 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 it slows down the process that I, or, or the goal that I'm wanting to get to. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. I, um, you know, uh, um, well, I'll, I'll say two things. Um, the, the first thing is I believe in never denying help. Like if a, if a student just doesn't get something like just, just give it to them to say it, um, you know, and, and there, there are people that say, well, in the beginning, it should only be oral. There should be nothing written, but a lot of students appreciate seeing some words like written on a board so that if they don't remember, they can just go ahead and read them. And, and that's okay. Um, I think it's okay to have these crutches. We don't need to be purists and we don't need to make like, you know, a, a, a fetish out of any one method and say like, it's this way or no way. Right. Um, but having said that, you know, when, when you mentioned that hybrid, um, sort of that hybrid of methods where we're doing direct method, but we're also doing grammar. Um, and there are people that say, well, why not? Why not? Why not do both um, to get the benefits of both? But I think what ends up happening is the, the you know, that, um, you know, you, you kind of accumulate something and you, you reach that, what is it, Malcolm Gladwell's like tipping point, right? I think that when you, when you go away and you enter something else, you really are taking away from the momentum that you mm. have to let one process really work. Um, and you're also kind of crowding your time. Like there's only so much time that, that we have. And if we're spending time, you know, in the evenings working on the grammar, instead of really committing to this first approach and, you know, reading and trying to read within the language, we are, we are taking away from it and we're dividing our time and we're giving ourselves less time to make this process work for us. Right. Um, I, I, I'll share what, um, it, it, I, I love Buck, what you said about extensive versus intensive reading. Um, I'll share my schedule of, of what I'm reading. Um, I try to read um, different types of things, some things easier, some things that are familiar, other things that are unfamiliar. So um, at the same time on different days, um, I will read, I'm always reading something from Plato. Um, and if it takes, you know, all year to read it, that's okay. Um, and I'm reading, um, right now, I'm always reading an Aesop's fable, which is familiar, but it um, has all sorts of great vocabulary that's not really in anything else, like, you know, frogs and chickens and mosquitoes and gnats, right? Um, and then, um, 
I'm reading something that is just very difficult for me, which is right now, um, St. Gregory, the theologian, uh, wrote uh, poetry. Um, a lot of people think that what was written at this time period is just easier because it's not, you know, it wasn't written at the classical Greek time period. It's really difficult. There's, there's <laughs> not that time. Um, and part of it is because um, that's on purpose. He's using um, an anachronistic language. He's using older language um, mm. and he's using older meters. He's using meters of the classical um, tragic and comic poets and uh, lyric and erotic poets. He's using this meter and, um, and he's trying to make the case, you know, this is why I think having a classical paideia along with being Christians is important. And he weaves mm. form into his work. Anyway, this poem that I'm reading now is quite difficult. And, and it is, Buck, like you said, um, if I make it through 15 lines in one sitting, I'm like, that's a success. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> but I, I, think it, I think it is good to have these different, um, different types of it for ourselves and for, and for our students. Mm. Yeah. That's good. I think, I think, what I hear in there a lot is that the the end goal is really to get to to uh, being able to think and and in the language when you're in the language. Um, and so, if interlinear is a is a intermediary step in there that helps you kind of cross over, you know, when you're trying to do the um, the intensive. No, sorry, the uh, what's the one that you're going fast? The uh, extensive extensive extensive, <laughs> extensive reading. Yes. Um, if it's going to help you kind of get through that text and keep going faster instead of having to stop and look in the dictionary and that's the kind of point you're in with that then it may be helpful but when it gets to the point of being able to want to think and just just let's say read the gospels in greek and not have to stop um then you get move away from that to some extent so yeah and i would say some of this and i'm speaking only as as having you know ton, students for the last decade or more, you know, in teaching the Latin is that there's always sometimes this uh, sort of this fear of not understanding something. And, and I try to say, it's okay, if you don't understand every single word. And even for myself, it's so hard. Like, I don't like reading a text and realizing I don't understand that there's a, there's a phrase or something that I don't get. And it's, and I want, I get hung up on it. But it's, but really, if you're, uh, Steve Kaufman, uh, he does a lot of YouTube videos on, he's a polyglot, Does uh, he's a founder of Link, he's a Canadian polyglot, and he does these little short clips, and he talks about sort of the process, and, and he he mentions some of these things as well, and it's like, I want to say, if if you're going to read, if you're going to want to read, say, some, a fable, for example, and you don't get two or three words, it's okay. I mean, if you're getting 80% of it, that's a win. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't you don't have to get every single word the first time, you know. It's it's, it's it builds. It takes time. And so, yeah. Um, I, I think uh after hanging around Andrew for a long time, he talks likes to talk about um co uh, understanding is overrated. And the first time I ever heard him talk about that was with Shakespeare. So it's just kind of become my Shakespeare rule. Like I don't understand every line in Shakespeare, but I still well, enjoy Well, it becomes a stress point and then it stops you from moving forward right right but i do, but it doesn't ruin hamlet if i just keep going like i still enjoy hamlet right mm -hmm. um well i don't know if you enjoy hamlet or you endure hamlet but because it's i mean it's beautiful it's beautiful but it's taxing on the soul um or, <laughs> um but yeah that's it's, it's the shakespeare rule, right like, even as, as native english speakers and if we were if we we're honest with ourselves that's true even 
outside of Shakespeare, right? I mean, we did a good, anything that's a, a, a in-depth book now, I'm, there's things I don't understand as I'm going through it, even in English. So, hmm. um, okay. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, I'm sure that people out there are going, yeah, this is great, but Buck's been teaching Latin for forever. And Monique has been speaking Greek from the, you know, from the womb. Um, I don't really know either of these languages very well. I want to give my kids ancient languages. You know, how do I, how do I get started as a, uh, as a teacher or a, a parent? Um, how do I do that? How do I give them something that I'm struggling to kind of grab myself? So any, any advice out there for mm. those folks? That's good. Um, because I was, it's funny that you, at the end, you said that something I'm struggling to grasp myself, because I was going to say that part of that question would have to be like, why, you know, um, why, why learn Latin? Why, why learn Greek? Why learn any other language for that matter? Right. And, um, and there's, there's and a lot of people who try to give answers for this. And, and personally, I, my love of Latin, when I, you know, when I got into Latin, of course, I never studied it. And when the school that hired me, when they hired me, they then asked me, well, do you think you could teach Latin this next year? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, and so I, I just started, you know, I was a day ahead of the students for about two years, but I had avoided taking courses in Latin when I was in school because I wasn't interested at all. But the more that I got into the language, the language opened itself up to me and, you know, sort of in a way that it, it, it sounds somewhat strange, but to say that it, I feel like it, it revealed its beauty to me. And, mm-hmm. and the more that I engaged it and the more that I encountered it and, and invested my time with it, my love for the language increased as well. And I think, so exposure and, and just investing the time into the lang- any language is going to expand your your universe, right? It's going to expand your understanding the way in which you see where I think C.S. Lewis said it in experiment in criticism. He said he wished like the ants could talk because then he, he, you know, then you could know the world from the perspective of the ants, right? This idea of even animals. And so I think the value of one having an understanding or, or being open to the value of learning another language for one. So being a parent, you know, investing the time into the language, learning to love it as well, and sh- then to be to be able to share that with your children. Practically, how do you get started with it? I think, I don't know, there's there's so many things. I mean, if we're talking about like, um, well, I just have my first granddaughter and I was talking to her last night in Latin. So, I mean, that, that's how I would do it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just... I mean, just having fun with it. I mean, I don't know, singing songs or or learning simple things, colors, days of the week, um, animals. You know, Comenius in his he his classic. Well, I shouldn't say classic work there, but there's a work that Comenius done early on in I think in the 17th century called the Orbi Sensualium Pictus, the the world in pictures, basically. And and the at the beginning of the book, he basically says. To learn the language, the, the, the reason we're going to learn the language is to become wise and to act rightly, right? He has three reasons for it. The, he, the kid says, what is wisdom? And he says, wisdom is to understand, um, um, to speak rightly, and to act rightly. It kind of has these three things. And the way we're going to do it, the way we're going to learn is we're going to go out into the world and we're going to learn to name things. 
and 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 basically the rest of the book is that's what they do. They go out into the world and he goes through naming everything in context. And so I think I think that's the way I would do it is I would learn um you something like if it's Latin, something like Familia Romana, where you're learning some basic stuff, you know, uh, that's that's tied to the to the world that you live in in terms of context, family, you know, learning the na- names of the family, mater, pater, avus, afia, soror, frater, you know, going through and then being able to name them like, ub- and then again, going back to simple things like ubi est, ubi est soror, ubi est, ubi est canis, like the, the dog, right? Where's the dog? Or quid est canis, you know, out, you, you, just simple things like that, getting, getting familiar with it before leading into a formalized curriculum um, that might be more well suited for the older student. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll I'll add to that that um, I think that if we give our children a love of the classics, if we give our children and our students um, a love of what it of what the text is they will want to become closer to it, right? I, I think it's in, um, I think it's in the, um, on the incarnation where C.S. Lewis talks about, you know, people sometimes think it's easier to read secondary text than it is mm. to read um, the text itself. It's easier to read exegesis on Plato than it is to read Plato. He's like, you're mistaken. Plato is actually a lot more accessible than you think. And then you're going direct to it. Um, and that actually is going to be easier for you. Um, I think once you learn the language, or at least I found this, I don't know, Buck, you feel this way, but I feel like the original there's, is clearer. It's, it's, um, it almost feels more accessible than the translations in some way. Once you have, you know, um, a competency with the language, it's this whole other world that opens up to you where you, mm. you know, um, you see with clarity things in the gospel. You're like, oh, that's what it is. Um, or you feel like Socrates is speaking directly to you. It's not just somebody telling you what Socrates said, right? Or this is yeah. you know said, right? Um, so I think that the the love of the text, uh, people people come up to me and say, I really want to read. I really want to read the Gospels. I really want to read Homer. And I think that's what draws us to wanting to to wanting to learn the language and and to doing the work. Um, and and I, I think it's okay to say, you know. Find a teacher, you know, a, um, a, a, mm. a teacher can really help with this process and and um, and make and make the road easier, right, and quicker. Um, but I, I think before that, um, as Buck said, um, I mean, Athenasa is it is accessible if you um, find another uh, teacher or another group or another homeschooling mom um, that wants to also do this, you could sit down and read it together and stay a lesson ahead of your students and, and, uh, and, and work through it that way. And anything you learn is, is better than nothing. And students get really excited, even if they know, you know, even if they know, you know, pater, right. Um, They're like, Oh, I know that word. And so when, when they, when they really get into it, there's this familiarity already. And they feel like it's not it's not all completely foreign. Anything that you do is is mm-hmm. is a good thing. I, I think so. That- sorry, just like quick. I think pl- starting out by playing with learning how to play with the language, right, it, it, um, is is probably the what comes to mind as we're talking about this. Is that with the younger the students, getting started is just playing, 
just just exposing, getting exposed to the language in a playful manner before before moving into a, a, a more studied approach. But 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 having an end in mind, because one of the sad things about I think schools is that they take students through all of the hard uphill work and then they don't they never get over the peak <laughs> you know it always stops you know you did three years of spanish and you know in, in college or school but you never got to the the joy of being able to to think and 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 work in the language and understand it's like it was all it was all labor all mm-hmm. work and no play and it's like you Maybe it's play, work, and then play. Like that's that's the <laughs> that's the, that's the okay. That vision of something funny, and I think I think this learning along with or just slightly ahead of our students is um, it's been the reality for many of us in homeschooling and classical schools um, as we try to give an education we didn't receive. And so I think that's that's always a good reminder that it's okay to be learning right alongside them. Um, yeah, this is this is fascinating for me because you know I'm. You both know me. I'm I'm a very extroverted person. If you're into the Enneagram, I'm a seven seven. If you're Myers Briggs, I'm <laughs> ENFP with an E that flies off the charts. And so as a young person, like my whole interest in languages was I just want to be able to talk to people and that don't speak my language. <laughs> just want to talk to more people. Um and then slowly as I've journeyed through classical education, I was like, well, I want to read the texts in the original language. I want to read Homer and Greek and and Virgil in, in Latin and and then slowly it's been like, wait, I want to be able to think in this whole other language. Um, and that's been a slower realization for me that the more languages I can kind of acquire, the the more I can think. I can think with more words um, and, and and more nuance. So that I think we can give them, give people a vision of that a little bit, uh, both the parents and teachers who are struggling to kind of stay ahead of their students, but also that the students, this is something this it opens up new worlds for them. And I think that a lot of that comes through giving them little bits of literature. The sooner they can read something, you know, in the story, the, the more they can start to see that. And even with, even with the simple beginning of lingua Latina, like that was my experience with that first page is like, Oh, I understand basically this whole first page because there's a map here for me. And I know these countries, you know, well enough um, that I can figure it out from context. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I'm not even that good with maps. So <laughs> Um, that's a, that's a good one. Oh, I'll try and put a lot of these resources too, that we've talked about in the show notes for everybody. Um, but before we kind of, uh, take our leave of each other, I wanted to give you each a chance to talk a little bit about, um, the apprenticeship program. Uh, if you're familiar with Cersei, you know that we have, um, a teacher's apprenticeship that's, that's three years, but, and then, uh, Buck just graduated his first class of Latin apprentices this past summer and, and Monique's about to launch the Greek apprenticeship. And so, uh, for those of you who are wanting to teach this either at home or, or make this kind of a vocationally your your goal with within the classical schools, um, can we tell them a little bit about how that program, what that program looks like? Yeah, well, the Latin apprenticeship, I mean, like others, I went through the teaching apprenticeship and fell in love with it. And I think that the model of apprenticing is is superior. And then going into other programs like it overseas with with Latin in particular. Um, well, I tried to bring those two things together. And so the Latin apprenticeship, it's it's a three-year journey, right? It's a three-year apprenticeship that's that's modeled very similar to the teaching apprenticeship. So it's it's a week in the summer and a week in February. 
um, where it's intensive. So it's six days in the summer, five days in the winter, and it's it's all day. And we we use Hans Orgberg's Lingua Latina, and so it, the 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 first week of the apprentice. Well, I'll just say that it's just retreats are intensive, and it's it's all in the language all the time um, during the lessons and stuff. And then over the course of the year, we then have weekly meetings uh, online. So as we continue through the text and by the end of the second year, we finish Familia Romana. And then into the third year, we get into uh, the first hopefully 10 or so chapters of um, Roma Eterna. And the goal is by the end of it, you you will have been exposed to all of the Latin grammar. You're getting into the Latin authors by the time you finish the third year. Um, you're, you're getting into the Latin authors without adapted text. And so it's not that you're fluent. You're not going to be fluent in three years unless you were really at some place where you did this every day. But you're going to be fluent enough or have enough command of the language to, to know the resources, to be comfortable enough to begin to think in the language. I think building your confidence um, and wetting the appetite for more to where you're now at a place to where if you if you wish or desire to continue you can right and and you can do that um with confidence and um and enjoyment and so that's that's really kind of the goal that i have is to get to a point to where people can continue and and get into the language get into the authors minik you're about to to launch um the the greek apprenticeship which i know you've you've been kind of uh observing buck and and what he's been doing the last few years and um you also i think went to uh, some programs internationally that that kind of uh, were apprenticeship based what's the greek one going to look like uh, starting next year well you know buck made this really easy it, it, it's 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 going to be like a latin apprenticeship um we're going to use the uh we're going to use the same model it's going to be structured in the same way except it's going to be in ancient greek um, I did, I spent, uh, I spent time at, um, uh, it's, uh, an academy in Italy called Mavarium Novum, um, where, um, uh, they, uh, the lingua franca, uh, is Latin, um, but the, the two languages they teach there are Latin and Greek. And, um, uh, I, yes, I will be bringing things into the apprenticeship from, um, you know, from observing the the way that they the way that they teach and the way that they do things, um, everything is conducted in the language. Um, in fact, uh, the students that go there sign something that say they will only be communicating um, in Latin or Greek. Um, the students um, uh, eat their meals with their teachers, um, have tea time with their teachers, and um, discuss everything from you know their their children, their pets, uh, their views on politics, uh, to Plato and Homer, um, during their free time. Um, and so this is, um, you know, this is, this is, this is what the apprenticeship will look like during the retreats. Um, like the Latin apprenticeship will do a retreat in the summer. Um, starting from this, this coming summer, um, there'll be one in the summer, um, and then one in the winter and then weekly calls, uh, the text will be Athenasa, um, the Italian version, um, and, uh, that will be the bulk of our work. We'll be working through Athenaza, um, and, uh, remaining in the language. And we'll also be weaving in original text, um, hopefully from the very beginning. And so, I, um, 
I anticipate having something on the Circe website very soon that will uh, give information about the apprenticeship and um, you know have have an application on there as well. Yes, I'll I'll, I'll uh, post a link to to the Latin apprenticeship program. The other the Greek one will be on kind of from the same page where all of our apprenticeships uh, and the atrium are listed. Um, I'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, in, in case anyone's a little bit concerned about the idea that they just show up and everything's in Latin or Greek, any any um, comforting words for folks that might be a little worried about that? Yeah, uh, I've I tend to gotten soft over the years, so <laughs> some would, some would say I should be a little more rigid. But um, during during the lessons, it's it's. It's all Latin, and I've softened up you where afterwards, if first years, it, it's really hard for being it in the first year because we didn't really touch into this, but input and output, it's so much easier to just take in mm-hmm. before you can begin putting out, right? And so I think there's value into just listening a lot. And and if you're first year and, and you're trying to communicate, um. It's just easier. I just let them just say it in English if you need to. But but my but my interaction with you is only going to be in Latin. <laughs> so and so so it, the first retreat is hard. It is hard, but it gets much easier after that. And uh, I don't. And so it's okay. It's not like somebody's going to kick you out if you say an English word. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you mentioned that last part about the input and output because I think that's a good reminder even as we learn and work with students that we can not be so um, concerned about how quickly that, that that we ourselves or our students can output. So well, this has been great. Hopefully this won't be our last conversation on languages. Uh, I know we're trying to have some other folks on that work in some other languages uh, later in the year. And so um, with some different resources available, uh, I'll try and post as many of the resources as we have now and know about now in this in these show notes and continue to bring more so thank you monique thanks buck being with me thank thank you for inviting us and thank all of you for joining us on quiddity as we refresh ourselves at cisterns of learning dug long ago drawing from springs too deep for taint i hope you'll join us next week for another conversation and be sure to check out the other shows on the cersei podcast network